Hello and welcome to the Modern House podcast. I'm Matt Gibbard, co-founder of the Modern House. Today I'm in southwest France um, near Limoges and I've been thinking back to my old French teacher at school whose name was Madame Woodin and she would always say to us, you've got to wrap your mouth around all the words, got to enunciate the words properly Uh, and her phrase was, you must not speak with a hot potato in your mouth Um, and that's always stayed with me and I must confess I feel like I'm very much talking with a hot potato in my mouth at the moment because just before I came out here I had some dentistry done and it's making it very difficult to get my mouth around the words, especially anything with an S in it. So thanks for bearing with me on that. Um, I'm in a place called the Domaine de Bois-Boucher, which is an amazing kind of research centre for design and architecture. And it's a, a 19th century small chateau. And in the grounds, they've, they've built all sorts of really interesting pavilions. People like Shigeru Ban, Alvaro Caesar lots of other um, sort of architecture students and things like that have built some really great pavilions and we're staying in um, an experimental eco house with fabric walls and roof uh, with photovoltaic panels in it that generates all of its own energy and it's just a fascinating place to be but what they do is all through the summer they run creative workshops so people can come and stay here for the week and you can learn about space or ceramics or glass or whatever it might be that they're doing. And this week, my wife, Faye Toogood, is giving one of the workshops, and that's why we're here. And there's all sorts of people here from, you know, design and architecture students to young professionals who just want to kind of get hands-on a bit more creative. We have communal meals at a long table in the evenings, and then there's a swimming lake where you can go and cool off during the day. It's very hot, as always. And it's really, really interesting. I'm really enjoying it, actually. So on to today's podcast guest, who is the brilliant fashion designer, Christopher Kane. I met Christopher a few weeks back at his studio in East London, uh, him and his dog, Bruce. And we had a really good chat. He confessed to me that he doesn't do much of this sort of thing at all, which I was surprised by. He said that he hates the sound of his own voice. And I must confess, I kind of sympathise with him on that front at the moment. But despite that, he was really fascinating to listen to, actually. Very open and honest. He made me laugh a huge amount. I don't think I've ever laughed quite so much in a podcast as I did in this one. There is a bit of bad language in there, so maybe not one to listen to when the kids are around. But yeah, I'm really grateful to Christopher for doing this. I think he's obviously a massively influential designer. Um, He's inspired a whole generation, I think. I learned a huge amount from this chat. I hope you do too. And happy listening. How long have you had him for, then? Um, he's going to be six in October. That's so very sweet. Boo, boo, boo. No, but he's usually growling and attacking everyone. Is, he? <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is he a Boston Terrier? He's a Boston Terrier, but he's a tinier version. I mean, he just wants cuddles all the time. It's just... I have to say I love Boston Terriers. Love Boston. He might be picking that up. Well, maybe he is picking that up, because yeah. he's usually barking at strangers. But um... <laughs> So, I mean, the, the first question I've got for you is based on an interview that I read and you said the life of a designer is nowhere near as much fun as people imagine being creative is basically a prison sentence (laughs) (laughs) A do you remember saying that and B what do you think you meant so 
I was no way saying that it's doom and gloom all the time, but there is a point when you do feel like your life is completely taken over. Yeah. Because it consumes every part of your day and also like people can say, what do you do as a hobby? What do you do as a passion? Fashion. Yeah. I literally don't have any time for myself. Right. And also being creative every day can drive you mad because you become really insecure. You start doubting yourself all the time. Yeah. And that's not fun. You're always wanting to do better, always want to prove yourself. Yeah. So it is a vicious circle, but um, yeah, I mean, it is extreme, but I still love it. I love the extremities. I love highs and lows, but it is really hardcore. So there must be a chip inside you, right, that's sort of driving you on to... Ambition. Ambition. Then where does that come from? Um, I think I was always brought up, obviously, Scottish background, working class... If you want to go somewhere, you need to work really hard. And that was yeah. instilled from a very young age. My dad was a very young entrepreneur. Right. My mum was a housewife, but she had five kids. But we always had this real um, working mentality. Um, and even like when I went to uh, college, I studied at St Martin's 2000 to 2006. And Louise Wilson said the same. She was like, there's always someone better looking, skinnier, <laughs> taller, more handsome. Yeah. So you need to always work. And it's true. Like, I'm sorry to say, like, the younger generation, they think it's so easy to have an Instagram and start a business. But then you do it, you're like that. Mm. <laughs> Maybe this is harder than what I thought. That's interesting. So do you think the, the, one, the number one key to your success is just your work ethic? I think work ethic and talent. Yeah, absolutely. Like, to be precocious but you do need some degree of talent but again something I did learn is and I think this is really good for people to hear is there's no such thing as good or bad taste that was something it was instilled in me from a very young age Mm. because in this industry or any industry people are can be quite snobby and it can make you feel very doubtful of your talent or your ability just do you it's like if you like that doesn't mean I need to that's okay yeah so there is a, a degree of snobbery in this industry that you just need to like blindfold because I wouldn't be here 20 years later if I did what everyone else was doing yeah right because it's just not in me and also it's not in me as a person I just don't want to be like everyone else yeah I'd rather be punk like and also Louise Wilson the late Louise Wilson was so um she gave the, me the confidence to leave college and do what I wanted because even when I was at college that real, like, I might have left Scotland, but it was the best thing that ever could have happened because being a young gay guy in Scotland was, you're not going places, mm. especially 20 odd years ago. But even at college, it was that thing of no confidence, whereas Louise was like, that's fucking amazing, do another sex. Right. That was the first time I presented my work to her and it was like, never had that before. Yeah, to the <laughs> uninitiated, tell us about Louise. You know, she, she was your, yeah. your sort of mentor, wasn't she, in a way? So Louise was notoriously known like I mean everyone knows Louise Wilson if you go to Central St Martins and everyone knows of the stories yeah I think if she'd been alive today she might have been like a court case or something for throwing throwing a a cup of tea or something (laughs) because Louise was I think everyone gets say that she's crazy she wasn't crazy she just loved her job and she really wanted the best in people and when she saw laziness it's one thing she despised was a young person in this great opportunity and just abusing it she'd built like get out of my office don't waste my time mm. you're lazy and she couldn't stand laziness whereas I was the teacher's pet I hate to say it people hated me but I was the lap this is my way out so you just lapped it up I lapped it up and I yeah. became her little um, pet monkey 
Yeah, I was I was the lap dog, and yeah, I loved her for that because she let me into her inner circle. I was seeing things. I was very privy to things that no one else else got to see or hear. She became very good friends with my sister Tammy, who was my fit model at the time. She's called Tammy Aston Martin, uh, Tokyo Aston Martin, because she knew Tammy had been to Tokyo and she worked in Aston Martin. So she, that was the name she called Tammy. <laughs> she was so like such a dynamic. She was such a maverick of her time and how she taught was so different because I think today people are so sensitive or you can't say anything you're cancelled yeah I mean Louise would have been cancelled a thousand times over yeah because she just built up this is absolute diabolical who's going to employ you yeah. if you say that to a student now they'd break down and cry yeah and you, the teacher would be in like a tribunal yeah it's like that's the thing that I do miss is like reality check and yeah. honesty yeah like just, just if something's bad and Louise would always say there isn't such a thing as good or bad taste but this is just it's just mediocre yeah and do you want to be mediocre yeah so that was something I'm almost like this is mediocre this is mediocre I can't do it okay you know what I mean so I'm almost like I can't do this yeah so um but yeah so uh, so you mentioned your upbringing tell us about mm-hmm. you know, what, what kind of environment was it what was the family home like and stuff so there was um, I'm very close with my sister Tammy who's my business partner and also creative director of the brand she was five years older than me, then my sister Sandra was much older, then my two other brothers, Robert and Jim. So they were all out the house. It was just mostly me and Tammy in the house. Okay. Five years senior, so she was going through high school. I was watching her do all the art classes. She was going clubbing, wearing Versace jeans couture. Everyone was very fashionable in Glasgow because it was such a great place for music and nightclubs. And also underage girls getting dressed up and going out when they shouldn't have been. But I was, I saw all that. Yeah. Um, my mum was... A very insecure person, but also very life and soul of the party. She was um, extreme in how she looked, like very clean, but I loved that. Very poor, very simple. My dad was um, life and soul of the party as well. Like He was a engineer, draftsman, had two businesses. So we grew up, I think my older siblings didn't have it easy because it was like the 70s and 80s. Mum and dad were broke. Mm. It took a long time for my dad to get his business running. I was very lucky. Tammy was very lucky. We had a little bit of money. Um, but I was always sur- surrounded by my mum. I was mm. very close with my mum. And okay. my mum's sisters, my aunties. It's just... Scottish women are just so sh- different to another breed of women. They're just so strong. They're so resilient. They can get through anything. They're just so funny. They could laugh... I mean, many a time we've laughed at funerals because you just, because you're just like, this is. So there's never a moment that's dull in a Scottish household. And I think any Scottish person would say the same. The comedy, the dark humour, everything's always sarcastic. You're like, you've been nice, or you're just taking the piss. So you literally leave your house to move to London thinking that everyone's going to be like that. But then you come to London and everyone's horrible. You're like, oh my God. but no, it was it was a breakthrough, and obviously I'd been coming down to London before because Tammy was doing work experience with designers here, so I was living with her on Holloway Road way back in the day when it was so rough. Yeah. So it gave me a taste of what's to come and what I wanted, and I was never discouraged, even though they ultimately knew I was gay. My dad was very a very proud straight man, but he he knew. They all knew. My brothers probably knew, but no one mentioned it. So did you have a sort of coming out moment to your parents? No, I did, but my dad had passed away at that point, and I think that's why I did it, because I don't want to deal with him. Okay. I think every gay young man will probably say the same. Like The father's actually probably the most difficult part. 
my mum wasn't Catholic. My dad was very Catholic. His background was very Catholic. My mum was Protestant. So my mum was always the outsider in the family because she married into a very Catholic family. Okay. So she was never really liked till she had the first child because having a baby and breeding sheep is like a thing. Catholics tend to do. <laughs> um, but yeah, I always, inf- my mum my mom is always in my work somehow. Um, she was the first life model I ever drew in nude. Wow. My dad went crazy, but my mum was like, well, why not? Yeah. And her brand patent, smoking fags. I've got great drawings of my mum. And that's how I get into college, was my portfolio was filled with drawings of my mum. Right. I mean, you do what you need to do. Like, I'm sorry, it's survival. Like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, what did you do? And people were like, drawing, like, Coke, candy Coke. I'm like, how did... Yeah. <laughs> I took myself too serious, obviously. Yeah. And I was... But no. So do you... I mean, I'm, I'm getting the sense that you think that there's sometimes a little bit of a sense of entitlement in the, in the younger generation. Is that is that fair? I wouldn't say so. I think... I mean, I don't mean to be mean. I'm just mean... Cause sometimes when I meet people... Like, for instance, last night I went to an event and someone came up to me and said, oh, I know who you are. Like, oh, I didn't like your last collection. I mean... Oh, charming. If I want your opinion, I will beat it out of you, actually, if you really <laughs> want me. But it's like when I was like, growing up, when I went to, like, say, the Shadow Lounge, I'd see Guido and Alexander McQueen. I'd never go up and say, oh, I hated your last hairdo. I'd be literally too busy worshipping the feet, the floor. The... It's like... It's like, I don't know, like, people just... A degree of respect or mm. kindness or to be nice mm. I think people are so easily it's a way to have an opinion is to be horrible yeah I know better because I'm horrible mm. I think that's shit mm. but what's your reasons mm. it's just they're, they're shouting out but I think that's for every generation yeah do you worry about getting cancelled then no because I'm a nice person yeah and also I, if I was to be cancelled like Quite happily retire. Life goes on. <laughs> happily retire. <laughs> yeah. No, but can't, no. Touch wood. It's not in my nature yeah. to be mean or horrible or yeah. say silly things or, I mean, I think what we've been through, especially the, the COVID and the paranoia and then obviously Black Lives Matter, I think it was a wake up call for all of us. And I mm. think I did feel a degree of, I felt completely and utterly selfish. Mm. Why have I not done more? Like, yeah. this has been all around me. Like, it's wrong. Yeah. And I think we all had to, like, really, like, pinch ourselves and be like, what have we been doing? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, if we were a fly on the wall looking down at your family home and you're, oh, you're wow. 10 or something like that, what would you be doing? What would you be wearing? What kind of, what kind of boy would you be? This is really going to be funny. So I had my bedroom painted neon green. <laughs> Like the bright neon green, and then I went I, f- I went through phases of painting the walls because it was this terrible artex. Every home in Scotland was yeah. the artex. You'd fall on it and you'd literally be like scratched pieces. So yeah. if you were ever drunk in a house in Scotland, don't fall on the wall because your face would be ripped to pieces. So my my artex is bright green, and so was my clothes. I was wearing literally head to toe Benetton. So I was a Benetton kid. Oh, I was obsessed with the Colours magazine. I loved that magazine. I loved Benetton. I also used to wear like Versace jeans couture because there was a Versace store. That's how I became obsessed with Versace. Right. I, I never can say it right. Donatello will kill me. Um, <laughs> so it was a very colourful house in my little, my room, my pocket. And then the other rooms were very, very simple. 
Very in the theme of what was trending, what people had in Scotland. We were the first people to have a TV and stuff like that. And our oh, really? community was like, people were poor. Yeah, yeah. Did um, you, am I right in saying you shared a bed with your sister? We still share a bed if we go on vacation. Do you? If we're alone, if we go on a work trip. I just find it really hard to sleep in a bed without her. Are you, are you <laughs> that's it's weird it's not it's just, no, it's, it's we just amazing we just loved our company and we used to and imagine growing up in scotland we always had two massive boxer dogs we always had dogs on rotation so if one died we'd get another one and we always had boxers because my auntie was a, a prize-winning breeder with boxers okay. so we this should be me and tammy in the bed with two massive dogs it was that's perfect it, it was great it was just how we grew up and even with my sister Sandra, I'm always in, it was just more fun. Like you go yeah. to bed talking, yeah. having a laugh. And but could you find your own personal space if you needed it? Yeah, my personal space was watching TV when yeah. they were all at work and stuff. And that's how I got to know of like, I watched fashion TV. I watched Jeannie Becker, which was on Sky News, which was pr- like just groundbreaking for me because I would record it every Saturday. I've got the VHSs where I'd record and tape and stop and start. So I was learning from the age of like 11, 12 of people like Helmut Lang and Jean Colonna. Like I've got a really good knowledge of fashion history. Mm. Like I can spot something on a runway and be like, you've copied the Prada collection from 1994. Like <laughs> I know it and you know it. Like, so that's why I'm very like, there's no, there's no excuse. Yeah. Don't appropriate. Like it's just not on. And when you watch as a child, you suck it up, don't you? Yeah. And it's and obviously when you were watching like a Helmut Lang show, it was like brutally raw sexual energy, like yeah. boys with their tops off, girls with bondage bras. And then at the same time, it was Gianni Versace's bondage collection, which was also bondage and sex. And it was just like, I was having orgasmic experiences. My eyes were having like this, like I was just like, this is just too good. This is the best thing I've ever seen. This so how, is how old are you at this point? I'd say 11, 12. 11. So you knew you wanted to work in fashion at that age? I knew because it was the first thing that I gravitated towards when I, was, when I saw it on TV. I was like, what is this? I want this. Wow. Um, but even watching my sister Tammy, it was, she was five years older, but she was dressing up and going out to great nightclubs and her friends were always at home. So there were all these girls around and they were all like dressed really cool and... You know what I mean? Like vinyl, vinyl jeans before. <laughs> I mean, all this stuff that was like... I mean, Tammy was wearing Helen's story at the age of like 15, which was unheard of. So yeah. you mentioned Versace. Yeah. Donatella Versace was very important to you, wasn't she, early on? What happened there? Um, so obviously I watched so much about them growing up and I was very fascinated by the brother-sister um, angle because obviously me and Tammy were very close. Yeah. I mean, he's a genius. He will always be a genius. But... Um, when I first met Donatella, it was literally like walking into a room and you're literally, you're either going to pee your pants or just pass out. <laughs> and I probably did both. And um, she was just great. And it was Anna Winter who introduced me like a week after my graduation show at St. Martin's. And I was walking into the um, her dressing room and it just smelled the smell. I can still smell it now. It's like... You can smell Donatella before you see her, that's the thing. Yeah, right. She's like a procession of fragrance. She was having her hair done, and it was just like, it was love at first sight. I just loved Donatella. Amazing. She's and just like so down to earth. She's a rock star. Like, she yeah. just has seen and done everything. And when you look at fashion today, or even fashion um, campaigns, 
it's always comes from Versace. Yeah. I mean, who has Claudia Schiffer jumping a teacup naked? <laughs> like, imagine being in those photo shows. But Donatella would tell you how long it would take to get that teacup picture, and I'm like, okay, maybe not be on that photo show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It'd take days for one picture. Right. Yeah, I've done. Okay. Genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, let's let's move on to your first um, building that you wanted to talk about today, which is which does relate back to your childhood. Yeah. So it's a Catholic shrine called Carfin Grotto. Yeah. It's in North Lanarkshire, near where you grew up. So tell us about it. Um, I would say it's literally less than, I mean, a quarter of a mile from my house. Okay. So you could walk there. Um, it was built in the 1920s, and it was basically built um, because the miners and steel workers were on strike, so it gave them something to do. And obviously <clears throat> a very big Catholic population in Scotland at that time. And it's a really interesting place because it is, I'd, I think it's got the second biggest um, archive of saint um, relics. Right. After the Vatican. Okay. So it's quite a big deal. Yeah. No one would even know that. But then when you look at the numbers, the train station was actually installed, built for 50,000 plus people going there on a Sunday. Oh, wow. <clears throat> so it was a very busy time from the 1920s up. It's not so busy now. Mm. Being Catholic, you were made to go to these things and you were made to go to chapel and have t- had to listen to these long, long sermons. But, I mean, they were great. Like, I always love hymn music still to this day because I love gospel as well. But the grotto was special because this is where you'd see all these really devoted women, mm. elderly women, and it was just the way they were dressed how poorly they looked, but they would give anything for God. and mm. it, was, it was really nice, even though it was mad. <laughs> I mean, you look back, but the place is very humble. Seemingly, the Virgin Mary was sighted there. I mean, maybe too much drinking at that point. Like, <laughs> probably saw a lot more than, probably saw the devil and descent. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, but it is, it's a beautiful place. And when you go there, it is very serene, even though the backdrop used to have the steelworks. So you'd literally be looking at a statue of the Virgin Mary praying, but in the background there'd be this massive gargantuan steelworks industry plant, the, yeah. the Ravens Craig. Yeah. It was this contrast, which was so brutal, and I loved it. Mm. So, so I always liked that contrast in my work. It was like so heavenly, and then the background was like pollution, steel. <laughs> <laughs> but it looked modern. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've featured it a lot of my work. St. Teresa, where I went to school, is another primary school local to the grotto. Um, I did a really amazing photo shoot with Alison McClellan there. One of my campaigns was based. We shot, that's my dog, barking. Um, but yeah, it's, I think when you go, it's, it's the humbleness, it's the local people. Bruce. Bruce, the Boston Terrier spotted something. Bruce. I think it's his shadow. Bruce. <laughs> Um, the relics I mean the saint relics I've saw when you see these relics of the saints picture skulls hands embalmed in gold like bones really beautiful macabre beautiful artefacts that are so old but they're all very I mean they're just they're worshipped these pieces of bone like pieces of ear but I remember seeing like a hand and I'm like that that is terrifying but it was embalmed in some diamondy stuff, not real diamonds, but you know what I mean. Like it was just so beautiful. So, um, as a, as a kid, did you 
What did you think of that? It was quite cool. Yeah. That was one, it was, I think that was the best part of being a Catholic. It was like, you were made to believe that Jesus was a superhero. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's your view now then? Um, <clears throat> what's my view? I mean, are you, Jesus? are you spiritual? I love cults still to this day. Like yeah. I, I reference Jonestown in one of my collections. I reference lots of other cults in many collections. I do love that degree of devotion in people and madness when it becomes mad. But the Catholic Church is, again, so many levels of wrong and so many levels of right. So mm-hmm. who are we to judge? But when you see all these devoted people, you're like that. I'm like, what am I messing out on? But I suppose faith means a lot for some people. But yeah. I've got other degrees of faith. Yeah. Which is self-belief, good mental health. Okay. Having a dog keeps me on track. Having a loving partner, having a loving family. That's my level of faith. Okay, interesting, <clears throat> yeah. But what? Jesus is cool. I mean, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus Christ, I went to see Jesus Christ Superstar when I was a kid and loved it. Yeah. I still love that musical. Yeah. So, but I'm a big musical theatre buff. I love it. So you, you mentioned mental health there. Oh. I was reading someone had reviewed the grotto oh my God. online, and yeah, and 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 she clearly just adored it. She yeah. she she said it should be prescribed on the NHS, was what she said, because wow. people go there and find their you know happy place and decompress, and you know that's that's kind of amazing, isn't it's it? It's really nice. No, I can totally get it. Even when I took people like Alison McClellan there, who's a famous like very famous photographer he was like this place is bonkers but it's great it's mm. just like because what you feel is this really humanly touch people come up and speak to you mm. old women come up they're interested to know what you're doing and then you go into the little canteen and they're, they're serving you tea cups of tea with homemade cake it's you know what I mean it's very yeah. country living but it's just better banter in Scotland because yeah. everyone's smoking fags. And, <laughs> like, it's just like smoking fags is the point you tea. I'm like, are you allowed to smoke in here? It's just lovely. And I think there's nothing wrong with devotion. I think faith means a lot to other people. But it's different. Everyone's different. And yeah. I think oh, it makes you happy then. It makes you happy. So you mentioned there your own sort of support network for your peace of mind. Do you... Mm-hmm. Are you like a routine person? How do you kind of... Because you're obviously extremely busy. I mean, you've Uh said that you're obsessed. So what else do you do to kind of keep yourself settled? So I started painting again during lockdown. I started... I did a foundation year in fine art. So I always loved that. And I was always drawing as a child. So I started doing that. And I still watch every TV program under the sun. It's, (laughs) It's my therapy. It's my downtime. Yeah. I ran home last night to watch Love Island. Yeah, yeah. So deliberately kind of unchallenging things in a way. Something that just takes your mind off it. Anything, I love it. I yeah. just love watching TV. It just, and I, Even as a child, I love watching TV. Anyone who says TV's bad for your children, you need your head checked. Because I learned everything from fashion to art to natural history to QVC, prices. Of, like I just learned everything. It was like, yeah. so I hate that of kids... I'm like, please do your kid a favour and let them just watch telly. Yeah. But then again, when we grew up in the 90s, 80s, TV was so much better. Well, it was, wasn't it? And the problem is now there's, there's too much choice and you can just watch yeah, nonsense Yeah, and that, all the it time. gets a bit boring sometimes because you just spend your flicking for a child. Yeah. Whereas when I was growing up, we had the word. I mean... Oh, the word, yeah. I, wasn't, like, I used to sit at Matty Sanders every Friday night and she'd let us watch it. And it was like so X-rated. But we were like... It was, it was but, really great, I mean, wasn't it? Yeah. The best TV with the word, with uh, Euro Trash, yeah. with like, and then even like 
the um, Australian soaps like Prisoner Cell Buck H I loved yeah loved I referenced that in the collection did you? of course it was like I loved Lizzie Birdsworth and Australian soaps were great and also the, the denim uniforms it was like I mean Channel 4 was I mean, remember every Saturday night they used to have a gay couple of hours for gay like it never happens now like yeah because everyone's so sensitive or you have to put like a warning I mean, honestly, that thing really, that signal, that warning signal, have you saw that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly. <laughs> what is the fun in tea life if you're going to watch? It's not real anyway, it's made up. Yeah. But it's unbelievable. People need to get a grip. Yeah. I don't know, it's for entertainment. <laughs> <I'm sorry>. Yeah. <laughs> um, God, God forbid someone's <laughs> a man and man are kissing on TV. You have to yeah, yeah. warn that others homosexual content and I mean people kissing yeah yeah it's 2022 people <laughs> get with the program <laughs> so we're, the, I think the whole point of the grotto in a way is that it's, it's a place that people can sort of gather in people yeah. can make pilgrimages there right yeah and I was going to ask you have you ever made a deliberate pilgrimage somewhere and can you remember having kind of quite an emotional experience the only place I would say I did a road trip through Death Valley. Yeah, in California. That made me really, like, shake in my feet. Like, I found that really quite spiritual and, like, almost holy but also unholy. There was something really supernatural about that place. And I think those huge rocks were really, like, the heat that was coming off them. It was, like, vibrations. Yeah. And I'm like, am I the only person that's feeling this? And I'm like, what is it? And I just came from Las Vegas. So I was, like, literally, like... (laughs) It was like the detox, but it was, I almost felt like, oh my God, like a dinosaur's going to come out and kill me right now, or or like some, like, I'm going to be preyed on. I felt like so small, Yeah. but it felt good. Yeah. You feel like, God, we're we're so lucky. Yeah. So yeah. I really want to go. I haven't been. You should go. Yeah. But it's terrifying. I was like, and then you turn around and you're like, where is everyone? (laughs) And you'd be like that, get me the fuck out of here. Because you could feel there's definitely things about that place that you feel, yeah, there's power here. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Well, so your second choice is also to do with travelling to far-flung oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. places. So it's Amanwana, yeah. um, which is an island in Indonesia, yeah. close to Bali. It's in Moy- Moyo Island. Moyo Island. And the reason I put that in there is because I love going in far, 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 far places. So we go on this beautiful trip. And you know the Amman is so beautiful. The Amman hotels are just perfect for, like, Literally, the degree of the level of perfection and luxury is like no other. Have you stayed in a few then? I've been lucky to stay in a few, and it's not because I, I don't pay for these things. My partner likes, he's older than me, and he likes all that shit. So he got me into it. So he's made me a total snob when it comes to hotels. So every time I go to like a five star hotel, oh, I'm no like, going back, is I'm it? like, what is this place? <laughs> <laughs> you, you feel like such an arsehole, but you're just like, no. It's not the man. Uh, you need to be knocked two stars off. But you know, when you do have yeah. that thing, when we went there, I was like, oh, what the fuck have you got me into? Yeah. Because it's the middle of nowhere. You fly in this little plane, literally alive in this tiny little island. And it's these gorgeous, like, houses that feel like you're in boats. They're all very, like, yacht-like inside, like, beautiful 1920s yachts, interiors. But it's big tents. So it's so funny. So they're walking around, and I talk to anyone, and I'm speaking, and they're like, oh, you're staying... Your Princess Diana, and I was like, "What? Your Princess Diana?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" Yeah. So they kept calling me Princess Diana. I'm like, 
All right. <laughs> so it turns out I'm stealing Princess Diana's bedroom. Okay. But they then proceed to show me a picture of Princess Diana in this room. So I became obsessed with being Princess Diana. <laughs> <laughs> right? And there's a picture of me on the sand dunes, and it's the same place where she get a picture. And I was just like, this is just too uncanny. But it wasn't because I wanted Princess Diana, it's because they kept saying, oh... Princess Diana wants a bad cock. And I was like, I used to like to treat people like this. But it's because I was so over-familiar with them, they became my friends. And then one day, this is a real warning to people, viewers out there, listen to the locals. Everyone's like, do not feed the animals. Okay. Because the place is literally, it's like Jurassic Park, actually, speaking of dinosaurs. <laughs> There's so many, like, feral animals. But so what do I do? I feed the monkeys. You fed the monkeys? Uh, oh, Yeah. Fed the monkeys. Uh, they had to come in the room at least four times because I was getting charged at in the bedroom. Princess Diana's feeding the monkeys. <laughs> You're laughing. It was for fu- funny for five minutes because yeah. I was like, "Oh, this is really funny." It was like million. It was an outbreak, <laughs> and I couldn't get to the bedroom. So what I had to do one day, I had to literally get my phone and pray the reception. And I went on YouTube and found alpha monkey mating calls. <laughs> And I knew the breed of monkey, so I put it in, and it worked. But it only worked for five minutes, but it got me into the house, and I had to phone the people, they, they, and they were just like, did you feed the monkeys? I'm like, no. <laughs> lying, lying. They were literally high in honey. I was giving them honey, because the babies were so cute. But then the males weren't so cute. The males were like velociraptors. But why I liked that place is because, again, it was very spiritual, because it was, I suppose, their um, superstition and the supernatural and what they believe in and their their amazing rituals as, as people and how they dressed and they're so I think they're so extreme beauty there's extreme beauty in like it's too good to be true yeah. it's dangerous that beauty is so, always so dangerous because you're just literally hypnotised by it but I mean I'm trying to, they, were, they were just had great looks great jewellery <laughs> just great stuff yeah yeah <laughs> um, and it's not like I'm going to just oh take that and appropriate into a collection I've, I've never done that really like take any sort of ethnic slant to my work yeah but if I did I'd take it from them between monkeys attacks and being called Princess Diana and it's a really fond part of my heart when I left I was like god that was some week um I came back really white because I I couldn't sunbathe because the monkeys were attacking me (laughs) it's so it's really all the money we spent in that place now I came back white (laughs) As a Scottish person, that's something else you need to know. We're obsessed with being tanned. Because right. we, we grew up in the, the most graced, sleekest. I mean, it's just grey and rain all the time. So, yeah. So do you fake tan? Uh, I did the other night, actually, yeah. Yeah, I had just to, to take the edge off. No, just because it was so hot outside and I wasn't, I missed the sun because I was working. And I was just like, do you know what, I want to look just as tanned as everyone. And it, I use a really good fake tan now. It's convincing. But I don't use it all the time because people judge me in that as well. Like the other, I said that last night to someone and they did a funny face. And I said, why would you make that face? <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're caked in makeup. What's the difference? <laughs> I mean, honestly. And the, 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 the rooms there, they, mm-hmm. they describe them as being like tents. I mean, do, does it tents. have that sort of childlike thing about it? No, it's no. very like being in like a very posh yacht or something okay. like that's been built from the 20s or something. It's called beautiful words, very blonde. Um, <clears throat> but the tents are great though. Right? Yeah. It's not like, 
Didn't it's, not it, gl- it's not glamping. It's not glamping. <laughs> Definitely not glamping. Did you used to go camping as a kid? Did I hell? <laughs> <laughs> Too scared. <laughs> scared of what? Scared of um well the elder brothers used to scare the shit out of me of all sorts. They used to scare me most of the time saying, You know you're adopted. This is not your real mum and dad. I'd be like, just sit and cry. Like, oh, <laughs> They're coming to get you and all this stuff. Um but I think I don't know, it was it was a small small village. There was a lot of creepy people around. There's a lot of abuse going on in that neighbourhood. Yeah. And it was unspoken about. Yeah. And I think back then people had free reign to do things and get away with it. So Yeah. Even growing up as a child, I was very, very, very conscious of people and yeah. power and sexual energy. Yeah. Mm. Darkness. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds really bad, but I'm just being honest. No, no, it's, like, it's reality. It's reality, and like, I'd never, I, I just don't like that. Do you much. think that's why, to some extent, you've got such strong female role models in your life? Yeah, I think so. I think. They were just much more fun, and also I wasn't playing with the boys playing football. I was watching fashion TV. Yeah. And my mum never questioned that. Yeah. Um, whereas my dad was. He'd always put judgment on that. Why are you not doing that? Why are you doing that? Because I don't want you to be like them. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to get out of here. Well, that leads us nicely onto your third choice, yeah. which is an art gallery near Vienna. Yes. Um, called Gallery Gugging, is that right? Is Gugging. That Gugging. Gugging. Okay. Gallery Gugging. So you have got an exhibition coming up there, haven't you? I've got an exhibition coming up. Um, it's on till September. And this is a gallery which I've collaborated with in the past. I've licensed um, work from some of the artists there and I've used it in collections. It's just so good. It's just, again, when you talk about supernatural or raw motion, this is basically where outsider art was founded. Right. Um, and which was, I suppose people call it art brute, but it's like, I've always loved outsider art, and, even and as a those, child. And for those who don't know what that means, what, how do you so describe outsider it? Outsider art is like, well, basically this place is a very, very dark history. Mm. It was used by the Nazis to experiment on young children who had learned like, disabilities. So you can imagine how we don't even talk about that. That was just deplorable and awful. But then obviously it is, it, through time, it became a facility for people with mental health illness and it was a, not a very nice place. But Jean de Buffet, the French artist who coined the term Art Brute, um, he had saw work from the, the institution and was like taken aback by it. He'd never mm. seen anything like this. It's basically like, imagine being locked in a room and you're giving a pen and pencil and you've literally... This is someone who's who'd be termed as sane. You're brought up in a room. You don't know about art. You don't know about anything, any other outsider influence. You just draw what you draw. That's outsider art because you're not you're not um, being trained by visual things around you. You just don't know any better. It's always very raw. And when you think of like Aboriginal art, which I love, or any sort of Aboriginal art, it's like it's just so raw. It's, it's the purest form of art. Yeah, um, and even when that thing when you draw before you learn to read and write, it's you're given a pen and pencil. It's children just draw like Picasso once said. He wish he could learn to draw like a child again mm. because it's just so beautiful. It's it's innocence, but it's so raw and powerful to work there when you go to yeah. this place, and it's so deep and like 
honest. It just means, yeah, it just means more to me than going to, I don't know, like, it just, it just, it speaks volumes. Because as a person, you, you think of some of the people who, are, who have studied there, they've been through so much. They're so post-war. They were put in this institution because they were seemingly deemed as being mad, but they painted and drew. And mm. So it's about your paintings. So my paintings were literally, they're very carnal, sexual, collage, mixed media. Started during COVID again, hadn't painted in a long time. I think we were all a bit out of it, let's be honest. <laughs> um, we didn't know what was going to happen. Everyone thought it was going to last for two weeks, remember? It was like, oh, we're back in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> two and a half years later. Um, so I painted, but yeah, it was just like mindscapes in the beginning and then it just became more figurative and for me they are they're demented looking they just look they're quite evil and sinister I suppose that's I've always liked evil and sinister like that's maybe the Catholic upbringing I've always preferred the dark side to the because it's almost much more fun well they, but there's a combination isn't it there's, there's some evil and sinister but then you're using bright colours and glitter right? yeah so. but that even that, but that's just quite sordid and twisted about them because yeah. even when I was when I did my MA collection I um, my final collection was based on American beauty pageants. Yeah. And people were dumbfounded because everyone in the, the school was like doing Margiela and Helmut Lang ripoffs or Ray Kawakubo. So yeah, I really love these because I thought they looked like Fabergé eggs. I thought, and also it was the most twisted, fucked up thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Dressing children like that, it was, it was ugly. Yeah. But it was so good. Like, do you know what I mean? It was like, yeah. so wrong, but so good. Yeah. So like it's that's the sort of thing. Like I like that. I like to always like even when we do collections, it's like, what have you not seen before? Or what, if, what will make people like really hate it or really love it? And mm. I like that reaction. Mm. You need to do things or make yourself happy. It's making me happy more than like I'll be slapped for saying this, but business is business. But as a designer, you need to have some way of feeling. Oh, I felt good. I feel proud. Yeah. And did it sell? No, it didn't necessarily, but the T-shirt did. So there you go, it's done. But yeah. at least I did something. Because yeah. all the collections that I love, looking back, they probably didn't sell either, but yeah, they still stay with me to this day. And like, So yeah. So you, you took up painting again mm-hmm. during lockdown. Have you carried it on? Yeah. yeah. I'm still doing it. And it's still within my work now. Like It's actually great because I'm doing all the prints and things like that like I don't need to like look or outsource for other things or pay extra money it's all me so it's great so we're saving money being really resourceful Um, and they look really good and uh, I think people like that hand touch to things yeah Um, but yeah they're great and the exhibitions I mean it's really quite big I'm really quite happy and what's the gallery itself like? oh you'd love it it's you don't feel any badness, even though you know this history. You just feel this is a place to really get better or to do great things. It just right. feels brilliant. Mm. It's just so clean and the arts everywhere. It's so bright. It's It just looks so beautiful and so open. And it feels like a, a school. Mm. So you feel like a child when you go in there. You feel like, oh, I just want to pick up it. You feel inspired to just go nuts and like mm. just paint and be really expressive mm. and then you see the work of the artist and you're like oh, I'm, I'm shit <laughs> they, they, I mean but it's that thing it's I just love it I mean it reminds and, me of Alfred Wallace who was obviously famously discovered by Ben Nicholson who oh, just wow. happened to walk past his 
studio one day and saw what he was painting on bits of old board. Yeah. And he was, I think he was in his 80s, Alfred wow. Wallace was. But and you can imagine there's so many people out there in Hackney who are painting away in their bedrooms and they'll never be discovered. They'll never be discovered, yeah. And Bruce paints as well. He was always there painting with me. That's my dog, Bruce. He, he paints with you. He was always with me, so there's always pictures in the studio of paintings on the floor and Bruce is sleeping on them. And it was so funny, we went and took the art to the next day to be framed. They're like, oh, there's like a smudge on this one. And I was like, oh, it's Paul Prince. Do you want to take it off? And I said, no, leave it on, it's Bruce. Bruce. Bruce is dirty monkey paws. <laughs> um, but I think what I'm trying to say with this place is, I think people need to see it to believe it. And um, I mean, I've got this note here about David Bowie. David Bowie went in the 90s because he was a, one of a huge collector of outsider art. And he was blown away by it as well. Like, I mean, David Bowie, there you go. One of the biggest outsiders and one of the biggest shakers of the century. So Yeah, if it's good enough for him. Well, yeah, so he collected a lot of their work. So it's, But when you say it out loud to like, art people, they're like, I've never heard of it. I'm like, how not? Why yeah. have you not heard it? Yeah. Because people are so focused on commerce again. Yeah. And it's like, what about good stuff? What about the good, really good stuff? Yeah. I'm really pleased you've chosen it because... No, it's beautiful. It sounds incredible. You get really emotional. It's lovely. Yeah. Really emotional. And they deserve the, the credit. They really do. Yeah. So, yeah. The last thing I want to just ask you about quickly is your, your business here. How, how, <clears throat> many, how many people are in the business and what's... Are you purely focused on the creative? A bit of both. Yeah. We have, obviously, Christopher Kane, and we also have More Joy. Yeah. Which we launched during the, the pandemic. It was a living daily mantra. We needed more joy. So there's those two brands, and then I also did Painted by Christopher Kane, which is not really a brand, but it's part of the family. But yeah, I feel like we're back in our bedroom again. Do you? Starting, and I like that feeling. Yeah. Like that was the dog. You, that Bruce. was the dog. Um, I feel like I'm back in Dalston Lane where I first started, our bedroom. That's where we started the business. It was me and Tammy and interns, and it was like the um, Adams family. That house. It was so funny. That's what it feels like again. I feel like so much more hands on because I was obviously part of caring for five years. Yeah. So you sold a majority stake, yeah, didn't you? And then I bought it back like two, three years. Oh God, three years ago. Why did you buy it back? I just felt like I wanted to be more hands-on again. Yeah. Um, I learned so much from being part... I'm forever grateful for what we did with them, but that is Bruce Licking, that's not me. <laughs> just anyone can. Um, but no, it was, it was great and interesting, amazing people, but it just didn't work out and that's okay. Yeah. So we got it back and it felt liberating. And I, like I say, I keep saying back in the bedroom because it is, it's like being back in Dalston Lane. It was me and Tammy again. Literally just sewing it ourselves. Yeah. Getting things done. Yeah. And I think even when I started out, me and Tammy were doing everything in the beginning. It was, I mean, the things we used to get up to, but it's really hard having your own business. Yeah. Young people, get ready. <laughs> get ready. It's a warning sign. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think we're so well rewarded. The industry is the best industry in the world to work in, but it is hardcore. Yeah. Um, but I think best bit of advice to young people is just be you and yeah. don't listen to anyone else. Yeah. Because that that's your downfall when you start to listen to people. Yeah. So when you're a 
wizened old man mm-hmm. looking back over your life yeah what do you what do you want to be remembered for i'll be stalking a stuffed dog or be taxing for sure. for us. um <laughs> what do i look um i don't know i don't think i'll ever want to retire yeah just want to keep working painting um doing other stuff i don't know never say never I'll probably have dementia or something like that. <laughs> I'll be like hooked up to a machine. Touch wood. That's a terrible thing to say, but that's the Scottish in me. It's always like think think the worst before you think the nice things. Yeah, right. I don't know. I think it's. I mean, who thought COVID was coming? Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's literally, and then this whole thing about monkeypox. I mean, seriously, <laughs> it's freaking me out. Are you worried um, about it? I'm I'm not worried about it, but people keep talking about it, and it's making me like think about it. Yeah, and be like, oh, no, another thing. Yeah, there's always a thing. There's always a thing, but <laughs> but it was it's so funny because the COVID thing. I mean, I loved my time off, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people are scared to admit it, but it was a really nice time to just stop and reflect. I bet Bruce the dog kept you going during lockdown, didn't he? Well, you, you, were allowed, at that point? you were allowed out for one walk. Remember the walk? Yeah. And I remember being told off, you're not allowed to walk your dog. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Of course I'm allowed to walk my dog. <laughs> <laughs> so I always used to go different routes all the time just to keep this one person from shouting at me across the street. Oh. Um, but no, Bruce was great. But again, he's Bruce is, even when I did have COVID, Bruce keeps you on your feet. Yeah. He's a spoiled little prince. But that was my own creation, so <laughs> only myself to blame. Thank you so much, Christopher. Thank you. It's been really okay. fascinating and Has hilarious it? in equal measure. Can you edit out the most no. parts? Oh, okay, you can. No, we're do leaving that. it all in. Okay, okay, <laughs> and I hope it sounds okay. Thank That's you, fab. guys. Thank you. Thanks Good. a lot. Thank you. Thanks very much for listening. As always. You can see photos of some of the things we talked about today on our website, which is themodernhouse.com. This was the last episode of this series, but we have already started recording the next one. There's a little bit of a change to the format, which I think is really successful, uh, and I'm just really, really excited about it. Without giving too much away, we've got all sorts of interesting people lined up. We've got some well-known chefs, we've got some entrepreneurs, designers, uh, and all sorts of other people as well. So please do subscribe wherever you find your podcasts and you will be notified as soon as we start releasing those episodes. As always, if you can spare a minute to rate or review the show, that's incredibly useful because it helps other people to find us as well. This episode was produced by Kate Taylor of Feast Collective and mixed by Andy Taylor. Take care of yourselves and see you all soon.